0: News. 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 New York City. F A Q. One of the most important links in the New York City transportation system is the Underground Railroad, the subways.
1: Welcome to 2019 and fresh new. F A Q. Chrissy and I are rested up and ready to roll with the intention of digging much deeper this year into the big topics and questions about New York. Alex Lin is in Thailand studying Muay Thai through January, so we're joined for the month by guest producer and Mother Jones digital media fellow Jordan Gaspore. Since last we spoke, newly reelected Governor Andy Cuomo strapped on his hard hat, descended into the sandy, ravaged L train tunnel, crossing the East River, and emerged with a surprise new plan to avert the long-scheduled apocalypse. It's part of what Cuomo says is needed to shake up what he's now calling the transportation industrial complex and give him more control over this train system. The governor, by the way, appoints the chair and a near majority of the board members of the MTA, which came up with the shutdown plan. He's now effectively overruling months before it was set to begin and after years of study and preparation and even signed contracts for the work. So New Yorkers who moved to other neighbors or out of the city in, anticip- in anticipation of the shutdown are fuming in SOL, while nearly everyone else who relies on the L is cheering. In a grim 2016 video explaining the need for the shutdown, now unshutdown, the MTA explained that toxic silica dust was one key reason the tunnel couldn't only be shut on nights and weekends. And the immediate question now is if that hazard or any other unforeseen one could derail Cuomo's plan, once there is an actual plan to consider in detail and not just the announcement of one. So, if the MTA does sign off on the plan Cuomo initially said was a done deal, with no need for the agency to approve it, the big question in a decade or so or perhaps even sooner if global warming means more superstorms is if we end up right back where we started but years and billions farther behind and with Cuomo long gone joining us to talk about all this as well as the state of public transportation here more broadly our MTA board member Veronica Vanterpool one of Mayor de Blasio's appointees to the board and transit reporter Aaron Gordon who puts out the indispensable weekly newsletter Signal Problems Later, you'll hear from reporter Victoria Pekampis, um taking you in the courts. And who knows what else? Don't change that channel.
2: Good morning, everyone. I am <laughs> inherently frustrated. I got down to my platform, and it said, next train, 12 minutes. So I got to wait a full 12 minutes and then got on the train, and there was a gentleman who was rearranging his life on the seats of the train whilst smoking a full cigarette. So uh, we stopped in between stations, so I was sort of stuck in the car. And then at the next stop, I went and changed cars. Aaron?
3: Uh, My commute was smooth as a baby's bottom, actually. (laughs) I got here 20 minutes early and disrupted your breakfast.
0: (laughs) I started on the commuter rail line, got into the city. That part was relatively smooth until I got to the B train, which skipped the stop that I needed to get off, and then had to come back up and rush here really quickly. It was my morning exercise. Oh,
3: good. Well, at least you don't have to go to
0: the gym.
2: Thank you, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> did they announce why your stop was skipped? No. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yes. Well, I mean, even if they—I
2: but even if they that. did, it would just say. <laughs> 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 it's like, why do we have this intercom system? I mean, whenever I go to other nations, I'm always so impressed by their public transit, it's so clean, the intercom systems are clear, even if it's in a language I can't understand. So, anywho, I'm about to get off track. Harry, get us started.
1: The trains, man. <laughs> the <laughs> trains. I So, so I, have, I have all my own little pet concerns. Um, the signage breaks my heart. Um, the countdown clocks, all that. But I think the thing that's really on people's minds right now is, uh, is the apocalypse, or the apocalypse averted, and how we got here. Um, Aaron, I'm hoping you can background a bit of this for, uh, 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 for listeners. And then, uh, um, Veronica, I'm hoping you can help explain where we're at, uh, you know, as we're all trying to wrap our heads around this, because in a slow moving system, I think for better and for worse, this happened very, very suddenly. We're not changing anything in the plan right now until we can absolutely verify
3: that this new idea is going to work. No one heard of it until the last 24 hours. Yeah, so the background on this, uh, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, for the better part of three years, we've been told um, by the MTA that the L train had to be shut down for, uh, first it was 18 months, then they revised it downward to 15 months uh, to repair damage from Hurricane Sandy. And then uh, plans were progressing towards that shutdown, you know, all the different mitigation efforts were being put in place, it's been a constant topic of conversation on the transit beat um, for those three years, more or less, about how New York would handle the shutdown. And then starting in December, um, pretty abruptly, Governor Cuomo announced that he was going to take a team of engineering professors into the Canarsie Tunnel to, uh, poke around, you know, <laughs> have, have a little look-see and see if this whole shutdown thing was really necessary. And, uh, then he and his team, or the engineering team, the panel I guess is as they're called, uh, they spent the next couple of weeks putting together a new plan that doesn't involve shutting down the tunnel. And they announced that very abruptly, as you noted, on uh, – geez, it was just last Thursday. So it's been less than a week. Uh, yeah, they just all of a sudden pretty much announced it, that the shutdown is not necessary anymore.
1: Life, unlike the trains, comes, comes at you fast Yeah, That's
3: right. And – uh yeah, the MTA uh, or the interim MTA chair, Freddie Ferrer, uh, pretty immediately, I think it was, said we accept these recommendations, which uh, really put uh, the MTA itself and New York City Transit in a bind about, uh, you know, that they, they kind of had their hands tied to accept it immediately and roll with it. So, yeah, that's kind of the background on it. And the since thir- the announcement on Thursday, I think transit reporters, Veronica can speak for herself, but I think the board, too, and a lot of people within New York City Transit have been kind of scrambling to figure out what exactly this plan is, why it wasn't come up with before, um, if it's safe, if it's viable, and just kind of sorting through it all.
1: So Sandy was 2012, right? So we're yeah. going up on seven years. So I've never totally understood what happened in those first four years before they said, hey, we're going to have to shut down the tunnel. I'm also not clear if we have a plan at this point. It seems like we had an announcement of a plan. I'm not sure if there is actually a plan to uh, assess <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I don't know if Veronica wants to weigh in on this, but yeah, I think I think that's I think that's right. Um right now there is no like actual plan on paper about what the new sh- I guess it's not a shutdown anymore. I'm so in the habit of calling it a shutdown, what the new uh tunnel rehabilitation plan looks like. Um last night at the community board three transportation meeting, Andy Byford showed up to, uh, which is the lower East side um, and they're affected. So he showed up to kind of talk through this and he was basically saying, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're still figuring out. Um, he, <laughs> So it's uh Andy yeah. Byford it's being. Andy Byford being the New York city transit president who very, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. He hasn't said this himself, but it, he's pretty much had this plan thrust upon him. Um, he, uh, he said he wasn't aware of the of the new plan very far in advance of when it was announced so yeah
2: so veronica let's let's just before you answer let's just pretend it's the two of us talking not on a podcast and we've had a few glasses of wine can you give us your thoughts on governor cuomo's announcement that the l train miraculously will not be shut down after three years of planning where people have taken their kids out of school people have moved and everything has changed Well, if you're looking for
0: answers of an MTA board member, you've come to the wrong source (laughs) for answers. I, like many of my colleagues on the board, were blindsided by this announcement. I actually first heard about it through some rumors from colleagues in the transportation advocacy space and then started to inquire and hadn't gotten any notice until a memo arrived at 1234 p.m., 11 minutes before the governor's press conference. It was certainly premature for any leadership to say that this was widely endorsed and supported by the MTA agency because it hadn't come to the MTA board. We had not been briefed to this date. As a collective, we've still not been briefed as a board. We do know that uh, we will have upcoming briefings to discuss the content of the L-Train decision, but... As a collective, we've not received any additional communication from the agency other than that 1234 memo day of. I am frustrated by what I see as a quasi-process of the MTA board. And this isn't just reflected in this latest example. It's been evidence at least for the two and a half years that I've been a board member uh, on the board. And I'm all for mitigations that make the commuting experience of our commuters or our transit users better. I am a transit user. I use transit every single day in every nearly every single mode and I have experience with transit systems in the tri-state region, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. So I have a good basis of comparison. Anything that mitigates any sort of hardship for our customers, whether that's on the fair side uh, and on the service side, is something that I support. What I don't support is a plan that has come to us without being vetted, without full discussion. I still have a significant amount of answers that I'd like ans- or questions rather that I'd like answered. So I'm often asked in these past few days, "How would you vote?" And I say, "I don't have the information that I need to make an informed." Quality vote at this point in time. I still have a lot of outstanding questions. Number one at the top of my list is how is the longevity of this proposed solution comparable and and, and comparable to what was proposed before? Will it last as long? Uh, what is the impact to our riders and our users in the the off-peak hours and on the weekends? Uh, with this new proposal, what are the environmental mitigations and how are those going to be addressed? Uh, how does this impact costs? So we have heard that this re- renegotiated contract that's in process with the contractor uh, is supposed to stay within the cost envelope. But we are implementing a technology. And a process that has not been used in our system, that has only been scarcely tried in other systems around the world, with very different operating and capital conditions.
2: How do And we know? pressures. I mean, we have a lot of people. <laughs> our system is not like San Francisco or anywhere else in the United States. That's right. So how do we know that that is the right mitigation?
0: What is the proof of concept? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we know that this has been that this will be a successful alternative. Until I have answers to those questions, I cannot support a project. If I get answers to those questions that I find are authentic, incredible, and solid, then, of course, I would like to move this project forward,
2: as I think many of my board colleagues would. Right. So, I mean, this is for both of you, and both you and Aaron, why, if this plan is so great, why wasn't it proposed three years ago? I mean, this seems like Amazon on wheels, essentially. (laughs) Like We've got this great idea. Never wanted to tell you about it. It was totally done in secret, but it's fantastic. And here we are, and we're just going to like shove it in your face and you don't have time to really think about it. So if the plan is so great, Aaron, the way the governor is framing it, (laughs) 10 minutes before he tells um, Veronica, or 10 minutes after she finds out, why wasn't this on the table three years ago?
3: I think that's still one of the questions we don't have a great answer to. I think we're getting bits and pieces that are shedding a bit more light on it. Um, But certainly that was one of the primary questions that a lot of people had the second it was announced. Um, So the line coming out of the MTA at the moment is basically along the lines of, we did think about a lot of the solutions involved in this new plan piece by piece. But because there was a critical technological element that wasn't viable three or four years ago that is viable now um, that's changed the nature of the evaluation. Now, one thing we haven't gotten a super straight answer on is exactly what part of that plan wasn't viable four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people have suggested it's the uh, uh, structural monitoring system that they're putting in place to basically automatically tell them when Parts of the tunnel are becoming structurally unsound that they have to go in and repair, you know, over the course of years in the future. Um, But other people have said it has to do with mounting the racking system on the side of the wall um, because, like, we've all learned so much about engineering in the last few (laughs) weeks. So from what I understand, um, one of the main questions was whether they could rack uh, cables on the side of the wall as a rehabilitation project as opposed to you know, on an old tunnel as opposed to building it within a tunnel from scratch, which is where you typically see um, cable right. racking systems. But anyone so, who's like, ever had
2: an old home knows that the second you move one thing, everything else could come crumbling I think, down.
3: I think that's like the, the overarching concern about this whole thing right now is that um, we have some very surface level explanations about how this will work and how it's a better plan. But as you say, anyone who has ever worked with an old home, much less a, you know, century-old tunnel (laughs) underneath a river, (laughs) um, you know, things don't often go as planned when you get in there and you start to do the work. You know, they say, oh, we don't have to destroy the entire bench wall that's, you know, this concrete structure that has silica dust in it. We can just do, like, the bits that are super structurally unsound and just encase the rest of it in a polymer that will, you know, know, just like – it sounds like some serious galaxy brain stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, is, like – of where I'm coming at and like look there is like what there, there is like you know nine you know n- nine times out of ten galaxy brain stuff isn't great but like maybe one times out of ten it <laughs> does work and so like I think what we're trying to figure out is if it's like are, are they crazy or are they crazy like a fox right you
2: know? and so Veronica I guess it that goes back to also your point about the money, right? Because if we just are talking about encasing something, that's one set of funds. If we're talking about complete restructuring, that's another. I mean we bought an old house and opened up a wall and it was like literally glass bottles in there and no insulation. <laughs> like they just stuffed the walls with literal newspaper and glass bottles, right? It's like, yeah, it's 150 years ago. What are you going to do? So what were you – what do you have to say about – what
0: well, one key topic and one key open ended question for me that I have not heard discussed is we're in this situation as much of our transportation infrastructure in this region is because of Superstorm Sandy in 2012. Do we know that this mitigation will withstand that next Flood, those mm. next climate impacts. I've not yet heard that discussion. We've talked a lot about rehab and repair, but what about fortifying the system? The original plan was about fortifying the system and repair and rehab. Mm. And it's something that I have not heard widely discussed. In fact, I've not heard anyone mention it, but I've not heard every single conversation on this topic, right? So I, I don't want to credibly say nobody's talking about it, but it's not rising to the level of of discussion that I think is important that speaks to the longevity of the solution that I talked about at the beginning how do we know that this is a long term solution i want to know on the record in documentation evidence proof that this is going to last as long as 50 60 years which was what was proposed with the original plan mm-hmm. why are we going to do this to our customers You know, we already have a system that we know is in fast deterioration and we are stopping those, you know, we're doing triage on our system right now. Why are we going to exacerbate the writer frustration and challenge with this, what I've called a Band-Aid? And I know that experts and the MTA as an agency take a lot, it ruffles their feathers when I said Band-Aid. They very specifically say this is not a Band-Aid. But... Again, I don't understand what the future fortification or implications of this are. And until I know that, it is a Mm Band-Aid.
3: I think there's. it's interesting you bring up the, you know, what happens with the next big storm question. Um, Because I've gotten a few different answers on this, actually. Like, so... And and it depends on what part of the new plan you're talking about. So like one thing I've heard is that putting the cables on the side of the wall is actually better for fortification because then if another storm hits, repairs are much easier at that point because you don't have to rip out the bench wall again. Like it seems like this. uh, So, but then on the other hand, Um, I've heard mixed things about how well the polymer might hold up to, you know, uh, seawater coming in and flooding through zones. So it's a a bit of a mixed bag. And I think we're still kind of waiting on some more definitive analyses here. And I think this is why... Um, Andy Byford, New York City Transit president in the last couple of days, has said he's convening a panel of independent um, engineers to evaluate this new plan. And he specifically said not just independent of the MTA, but independent of New York politics, too. So he's very aware of the dynamics at play.
1: Easier said, I would think. Um, So speaking of Galaxy brand, right, the comic book term is retcon. When you just sort of (laughs) – Go back and make things up. I believe that that, that Governor Cuomo retconned someone who may or may not have yelled at him, who's now the origin story of the plan, that a guy in Brooklyn is like, what are you going to do, man? And he put (laughs) on his hard hat, which he's done before, and, and marched into the tunnel. And here we are. So two things I really don't understand are, first off, what happens to the contracts we have now if this goes forward? Because we were very far along in this process. And secondly, what did happen between 2012 and Sandy and 2016 when there were trains going through the tunnel this whole time? I I just think this is something our our listeners would, would like to understand. I've been asked and don't know the answer to.
3: Well, I can answer the second part. Um, I don't really have an answer to the first part for you. I think, again, another thing we're still figuring out. Um, But in terms of what's been going on with the tunnel this whole time, um, so immediately after uh sandy hit they did do basic repairs to the power system to the signal cables and other stuff that was damaged so that they could run trains back through it again but they were temporary solutions they knew when they were assessing the damage they would have to do significant repairs as they've done with other tunnels um in the system so uh, most of them didn't involve full shutdowns i think the montague tube on the r was the only one that needed a full shutdown but i could be wrong um so anyways, they basically did enough repairs to keep running trains for, you know, the interim few years, but they always knew that they would have to go in to more fully repair, repair the structural problems. Mm-hmm.
1: And Veronica, what's going to happen with the uh, with the contracts and the preparation and planning that's already been done, and also with some of the overlapping projects, like the buses on 14th Street?
0: What we know as a board right now is that we do have to approve a renegotiated contract. Uh, and we don't know what that contract looks like. We know that it is in the process of just being discussed, and I'm hoping that it will be ready for the January uh, series of board meetings. I thought it was quite interesting that the governor called for an emergency or or called on leadership to call an emergency (laughs) board meeting to discuss what exactly Uh, a contract is not yet negotiated or renegotiated. So... That will give us, the board, some opportunity to to initiate this public discourse or continue this public discourse and ask some of these questions for sure. Um, And I think some of the biggest concerns are really how do we keep this within the cost envelope? Uh, How many potential change orders might we see etc with regards to the mitigations that have already been put in place the landscape changes the bus service changes i think there's a good deal of support and demand for continuing with them and making sure that those stay in place obviously some of those may not be needed in the same way for example um there's a discussion about hov3 lane on the williamsburg bridge right um So that may no longer be needed. I happen to think that that is a good idea in practice overall. I think as many times as we are providing incentives for people to leave their vehicles at home and find other ways of commuting around is best. But I think that there's a strong case to be made that we keep these other enhancements that have already been put on the street, uh, quite literally, and are already in process for development, such as new bus service routes, that we keep them in place. Overall, we shouldn't forget that we have a large transportation crisis, not just in this city, but in this region. Every stretch and inch of transportation infrastructure in the tri-state region is stressed beyond capacity. Our bridges, our roadway network, and our transit our, our transit system. Not so much the buses, and that's a whole other podcast, but we'll oh, have you back. still going down. <laughs> but buses do suffer from congestion on the streets, right? So we need to think that we have a transportation crisis and the mitigations for this one project are very much still needed to, to address the, this larger transportation crisis, this congestion, this um, lack of reliability and frequency and convenience that exists in mobility in this region.
1: So, so Governor Cuomo, who has near control of the MTA and appoints the board, and in near majority of the, of the voting board members – sorry, appoints the chair, and a near majority of the voting board members has said that there's a transit industrial complex. And, you know, this is his third term now, so he's been in charge of that complex for a while, and he's also pointed, speaking of the tri-state, to the Port Authority. Shout out to Chris Christie and Bridgegate, and said, this is what we need.
2: <laughs> it, but wait, Harry, I thought – Governor Cuomo said he wasn't in charge of the MTA. <laughs>
1: he, uh, he, he, goes, he goes back and forth, right, depending. <laughs> but but do, do, is there a transit industrial complex? complex? Do we need uh, one person to sort of have control over the region or at least the New York part of the region? Or, or do we need some sort of a distance from politics and planning for, for this to work going forward?
0: All transit systems in the United States do suffer from a transportation industrial complex. The New York City, or the New York MTA is not unique in that respect. And the reason why I say that is because the United States invests less than 2% of its GDP on transportation broadly, and then transit is a subset of that investment, right? When you look at other countries, they are investing 10 15 18% of their GDP on transportation systems, including roads, bridges, and transit. When you have that level of investment, you're seeing innovation, you're seeing new technology. You're not seeing that here because we're not prioritizing that as an investment in this country. So yes, I think the governor has made some very key points about the MTA being stuck in an era and outdated. And that is certainly true. I think many of the criticisms that the governor has expressed over the past, let's be quite candid, over the past three years, right? He's been a governor for entering his ninth year, but has only really paid attention over the past three years or so. So over that period of time, he's lobbed some very legitimate criticisms at the MTA as an agency. However, He and our state legislature and our political infrastructure more broadly, city and state, contribute to that transportation industrial complex by continuing to siphon and divert needed transportation resources for one. Number two, not investing adequately enough for the system that we have.
1: Are labor costs part of that? I mean, you're sort of looking at the money in, but the Times reporting really focused on the cost per mile and how much of that is labor, and Cuomo seems to be suggesting that this is a concern of his, which is interesting because he's been close with the uh, TWU over time.
0: Yes, labor is a big cost of that. Labor comprises 60% of our operating budget, and then on the capital side, the New York Times and Brian Rosenthal did this wonderful article that sparked this wonderful dialogue and discussion and debates about the capital side of things. There is no doubt, and there, if there's any one topic of unanimity amongst the public and the board and agency leadership, I think, is that we have to find better ways of optimizing and imp- implementing efficiencies on our construction side, on our capital side, in the construction budget, right, known as the capital budget, Um And board members are looking into that. There were two task forces to deal with that. One was procurement reform. One was cost containment. Just to give you uh, two quick examples, contractors build in a 25% MTA premium into their costs, into their contract costs. And they do that because the MTA requires of its contractors that they assume all risk For a project. All risk and all liability. That is not standard industry practice. But that is MTA practice. A second example. Our change order process is 40 steps. 40 steps. That is ridiculously complex and cumbersome. And what does that complexity mean? It adds to additional cost, additional time because of that. Or additional cost because of additional time in the process. So... These are the sorts of things that are now coming to light in a more layman's way that hadn't been fully understood before. And they're coming to the public discourse because there's been a lot of discussion. And I want to give a lot of credit to The New York Times and to Brian Rosenthal most specifically for showing those very stark worldwide examples on the capital side.
3: I think just to kind of elaborate on the uh transportation industrial complex comments that Cuomo has made, I I agree with everything Veronica just said. Um, but I do think like specifically with this L shutdown example is very indicative of how this is a very easy thing to criticize, but much harder to actually address. Um so as he's criticizing the transportation industrial complex, um the mta and governor cuomo specifically have been contracting and working closely with the very same engineering consulting firm that came up with the original plan to begin with parsons brinkerhoff which is now goes by an acronym that i can't remember off the top of my head but wsp thank you yes um so and, and then his other big target with this complex has been um subway signaling systems he said cbtc all these guys are too expensive we've need to do a new way which is called ultra wideband which works um wirelessly essentially and
1: if i can jump in real quick just layman style right yeah like if the signals are better the trains can run closer you have more trains your train is less crowded this is more good, reliable. but you also don't yeah. want the trains to run into each other that's very important
3: right and and cbtc is an internationally recognized standard for what a modern signaling system looks like and cuomo said no it's not good enough it'll take too long and too expensive and this is just like a contractor racket, essentially. Um, um, and so, to solve this, he has contracted with one of the two signal contractors that the MTA uses for CBTC to come up with this new system. So, in busting <laughs> the transportation industrial complex, he's relying on the very same companies that seem to be part of this complex. So, it's just not clear. To, and, and then, if you look to rail cars, it's the same deal. You know, there's no un, U.S. Co- um, company that manufactures rail cars. It's all international companies with with factories in the U.S. And so. You know, look, the MTA basically has, you know, like six different – six to eight different rail car manufacturers who they can go to and typically only a few submit like serious bids. And so it's like then you're basically juggling between the same two and three contractors um, for rail cars, which is another huge, you know, um, purchase that the MTA has to make on a regular basis. So anyways, it's very – the point is it's very easy to say, yes, there's a transportation industrial complex. All these contractors are ripping us off. It's much harder to say, okay, well, who do we get another subway signaling system from? You know, there just aren't that many companies doing that work.
1: Should the governor be getting high now that he supports legalization with Elon Musk to figure this stuff out?
3: (laughs) Was that not how this plan
1: came
2: up? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. Well, thank you all so much. Any, um, I just had a quick, conver- a quick question for you, Veronica, about the board, just because I think a lot of our listeners hear a lot about the board, but they're not exactly sure. And we've heard lots of stories like no one on the board uses a Metro card, you know, no one on the board has ever taken a subway before. I mean, what are your thoughts on how do you get the New York? Public to better understand your role because it seems as though you all do hard work. However, there are a lot of decisions that seem to be made without the board's uh, input.
0: This is the most thankless volunteer job (laughs) in New York state. And I want to emphasize that it's a volunteer job. We as board members do not get paid. So I think that's an important clarification to make because I've sat in a number of hearings as a board member, but then I come from the advocacy community. So I was on the other side, in the audience, in the aisles, around, you know, on the other side of the dais, um, having the same advocacy conversations that I'm actually having as a board member now. So we do not get paid. Most of us are a good number of us do ride transit. I ride transit every single day. I know a number of my colleagues do. Uh, the structure of the board is this. There's 17 board members and 12 votes. All of the board members are officially appointed by the governor, but they are recommended by different uh, jurisdictions. So governor, rather, Mayor de Blasio has recommended four. He has four individuals, four votes on the board. Uh, The governor has recommended his own five. The suburban counties that are also served by the MTA, Nassau, Suffolk, Putnam, Dutchess, Orange, and Rockland, also have representation on the board. But it is often said that the governor controls the MTA board because he has appointed directly as his chosen five individuals plus the chair of the MTA board. Now that's significant. Both the chair and the CEO of the MTA are appointed by the governor. Now up until this recent uh, implementation of Joe Loda, that was always one position, Or has been one position legislated as such. Uh, And Tom Prendergast was both the chair and the CEO of the MTA. Now, it's significant that the governor appoints those positions. And every other transit system in this country, particularly our partner agencies, right, the Chicago's, the ones in Philly, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, Boston, uh, Philadelphia, they appoint their own chair. The board appoints their own chair. And they often engage, if not ultimately and exclusively select their CEO, their managing director, their president of their system. So that person is accountable to the board, and there are measures of accountability built in. That is not the way the MTA board is set up. In fact, there really isn't that much accountability other than to the governor. And while it's very clear that the governor wants to shun that responsibility at this moment by saying he's not in control of the MTA, The fact is, the person who appoints the key leadership, the chair of the board, the CEO, the presidents of the entities under the NTA umbrella, is done with either direct involvement or appointee of the governor, which means that the NTA board is really rendered pretty useless
3: in that respect. I I think it's important to note, too, here that... like, And this is going to be our last word. Okay. That... What Veronica just said about the MTA board being rendered pretty useless in the end because of the Fakakta governing structure <laughs> is like is absolutely correct as a close observer of the board, but also The Public Authorities Reform Act, which was passed in 2009, makes exceedingly clear that the MTA board are the ones responsible for the governance, for the fiduciary health, and for the operational benefit of the MTA. The law is very clear that the board is supposed to be the ones responsible for this. Yet in practice, the board has almost no power to control any of these things. The only thing the board does on a regular basis is vote on procurements and contracts and buying stuff, essentially. And I think what the L shutdown thing more than anything else has revealed is just how limited their power is, even on those basic things. Because if the L shutdown, you know, like a lot of people are saying, why wasn't, you know, why didn't the board push back on the L shutdown plan three years ago if this really wasn't necessary? It's like, well, the board is not made up of engineers, and they only know what the MTA tells them. The MTA comes to them and says, this is our plan, and this is why it's a good plan. You know, Veronica doesn't have any staff members to be like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Veronica has a full-time <laughs> job. You know, so, like, uh, so there's just absolutely no oversight or accountability within the structure. And I think if we come out of this with any positive note it should be to recognize just how broken the mta's governance structure is and that that if that doesn't get fixed then nothing about the mta is going to get fixed
1: thank you guys i figure thank five you years all. two retcons from now uh president cuomo two superstars from now <laughs> president cuomo will explain how the board voted for this <laughs> That's right. and here's how we got it
2: yeah. thank you so much <laughs> thank, thank you. you Thank
1: you. hello my name is alex Lynn. <laughs> I've changed. And uh I'm here with Victoria Becapis and we're going to zoom through a whole bunch of stuff that's happened in the courts since then, starting with
4: Natalia Veselnitskaya.
1: I was trying to find the list. Oh.
4: <laughs> Indeed. Um so yes, uh on Tuesday there was some breaking news um with the Lawyer, the Russian lawyer Natalia. We're gonna just pronounce her name differently every time. Natalia Vasselnitskaya. So she was the lawyer who from Russia, who attended the infamous uh, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, um, and that Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner attended. And at that meeting, you know, supposedly Trump Jr. went there after receiving a mysterious email that. There was some dirt on Hillary Clinton.
1: You know how in Alice's Restaurant, the song... It's just a great fucking song. But anyways, like 16 minutes into the song, it's about Alice in a restaurant and the garbage. He takes the garbage out and he gets the tickets and it's littering and all that. And he goes, but I'm not here to tell you about that. And he goes into the draft and the war and the second half of the song. This is the Alice's Restaurant. Um, it's a stone, like 32-minute go-through song. It's fucking wonderful. This is the Alice's Restaurant of the Russia stuff. Because... Because, because Veselnitskaya is one of the lawyers in this crazy Previzont case, right, which is this $230 million epic tax fraud that's committed in Russia um, and is what eventually leads to sanctions here that start under, uh, that the Congress basically pushes through under Obama. Um, and she's the lawyer defending all the crooks here who are only in the U.S. justice system as Preet Bharara finds that they dumped a little money in U.S. real estate. And he goes, right, we, we've got a handhold here. We got the tiger by the tail. Let's pull. And so they try to drag these guys in. The Russians do incredible sock puppetry and exhaustion stuff. And finally, the U.S. attorneys, who do not like to do this, are pretty much committed to going to trial, settled for like $6 million and no admission of guilt. And they got screwed. So, again, totally separate from Donald Trump president and everything happening there with Russiagate, much of which is happening. And, again, she's at that meeting at Trump Tower. The Southern District is like, we know what you did. And there was all sorts of other screwy in this trial. There were, like, witnesses who, uh, who were basically identical conspirators who were charging the prosecutors money for fancy hotel rooms. Like, all sorts of just, like, ha, 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 you know, we're going to get you, we're going to exhaust you, we're going to drain you stuff. And so they've now, uh, they're charging her, which, uh, for, for false documents there, that showed that she was working more closely than known, formerly known with the Russian government. But, 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 we already knew she was working with the Russian government. Uh, We now formally know, which they already presumably did, that they could see her 2014 emails. And guess what? She's in Russia. She's not coming back here to get charged. So this is like a, a, um, you know... Justice delayed is uh, is nothing here. It's like a press release. And, and I think this is much more the Southern District people through Pete Barara and then through June Kim and now through Berman, right? So and through Obama and through Trump said, no, we don't like you screwing around with us like that. And we're going to do everything we can to hurt you. But I, I think, frankly, that they, that they lost. They lost when they had to settle. And they're, they're just trying to get some redemption sense. We'll see. Maybe it all is going to tie in to Trump and uh, Mueller and all that. But but that's my good.
4: Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's such a. a str- Are you okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I put my head down. It's fair. I didn't mean to talk so much. I'm sorry.
4: You can you can talk as much as this is a free country. You can talk you can talk as much as you want. Um well it's just it's such a bizarre and I'm probably going to just prattle on forever. Um so it's all good. Um well it's just it's such a bizarre case because as as you said, everyone, you know, first you have these two different things going on and we don't have any definitive, you know, link that what she was doing with Prevazon related to Trump Tower in any way. There's there's nothing there's nothing out there that's, you know, this is this Prevazon obstruction, ca- you know, case is not related. It's not laid out that it's related to the Trump Tower case. But it's, it's one of those things. It's like how like it's it's just, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a it's an interesting fucking coincidence.
1: It's comic book fandom bullshit now where you need deep continuity, right? So Previzon is, uh, it, without getting too deep into it, is what leads to these sanctions, um, is what leads to Russia saying Americans can't adopt anymore, is what is nominally the backstory that comes out initially from the Trumps and from the Russians about what this meeting at Trump Tower was about. As though the one thing, the adoptions were totally separate from the sanctions. And so there's the suggestion that that this is where the state was, the Russian state, was trying to articulate its interests and say, we can hurt Hillary in exchange for this stuff. But it's just such a long series of jumps. And it's one of those things where every time you write a story about this, you have to write like a longer and longer and longer explainer of all the backstory details that explain why the new details are significant. Jordan, are you texting us that, like, we were going to do 10 minutes and we're supposed to do a whole bunch of these yet? Yeah. So, speaking of that, Harvey Weinstein, what's happening? <laughs>
4: Harvey Weinstein! Um, You know, if Alex were here, we would have, like, said, hey, because we do that a lot when we get off track. Hey! hey. Okay. Hi, Alex. Um, so, yes, um, there were some court documents filed on Monday night that... Um, in Okay, so backing up, all of these cases involving Harvey Weinstein are procedural shit shows, for lack of a better word. There's a bunch of civil cases going on, um, allegations of sexual assault, misconduct, etc., etc., and then his Manhattan criminal court case. Um, So in one of the civil filings... um, on monday lawyers representing him in one of these cases the non-criminal cases um said hey let's put these uh, civil cases on hold because uh he's gonna go on trial may 6th um which this is the first time that an actual trial date has been floated um which you know just to be perfectly clear Uh, trial dates change all the time. Even just regular hearing dates change all the time. And a spokesman for the, you know, New York state court system said that, you know, this is tentative and unofficial. um, But it is, you know, it it is interesting, nevertheless, to see that, you know, this information is coming up in a civil filing and trying to be used as a a reason to delay the civil filing on the grounds that, oh, well, if I have to defend myself in civil litigation, it's not going to give me a fair chance at defending myself in a criminal trial because a lot of stuff could potentially in- – the, the the theory behind that is a lot of information, be it exculpatory, inculpatory, whatever, whatever, could come out um, in the exchange of documents in the civil litigation that – you know in one way or another could you know somehow prevent harvey from not saying anything that make, effectively makes him look bad or you know good or you know potentially you know ruin the ju- jury pool that's that's the argument in you know, pushing for that.
3: And we remain confident, uh, despite the court's ruling today, that ultimately, um, at a trial of this case, uh, Mr. Weinstein will be uh, completely exonerated.
1: Is he going to get off? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 is he going to. You know not that that's face... going to
4: be the Post headline if he's found not guilty. You know that.
1: You're welcome, Post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, news.
4: I'll take $50 for that.
1: It looks like the, the 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 legal proceedings against him are are pretty well damaged at this point. Uh, that Ben Broffman has has been chipping away at the criminal case. Like, mm. what's his outlook at this point?
4: I mean, it's so hard to say with stuff like this. Um, I mean, yeah, Broffman can bring up the allegations of inconsistencies, the alleged police misconduct, um, which the judge didn't buy, and so it, you know it remains to be seen. Um, you know, what exactly, you know, is going to wind up in trial with some of that stuff. There can still be squabbling about, you know, what can be in and out of trial, even if it does start on May 6th. Um, so.
1: So more winds in next week. There's no time to talk as planned about Jeremy Reichberg, the Merrill briber convicted on the testimony of another admitted Merrill briber. Shout out to Bill de Blasio. Come back on the pod for bribing top cops. Even as the one top cop who was tried was acquitted. The others weren't tried. The mayor, of course, wasn't tried. So El Chapo, what's happened?
4: So, you know, El El Chapo is uh, going as it has been going um, in terms of, you know, the proceedings in the trial revealing more details about this massive drug organization, et cetera, et cetera. But um, some of my favorite stories uh, from the past few days have not been really about the meat of the trial itself, but about some of the colorful details in the trial, Uh, for example, there was the uh, seeming O.J. Simpson, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit argument. Um, as I understand it, um, one of El Chapo's lawyers in questioning a witness um, was trying to undermine proof that El Chapo was in a place that linked him to a crime um, because the shoes that supposedly belonged to El Chapo you know, could not be proven that they were necessarily his shoes
1: if those aren't the shoes get the fuck out.
4: Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah. And that that's my understanding and reading the, the the coverage of that cuz I haven't, you know, been popping around doing court things, haven't been in El Chapo, you know, every every day um, or anything like that. And then yesterday there was a story I believe it was in the New York Post about how El Chapo's beauty queen wife showed up to court with a Star of David necklace. Um <laughs> what were what were you what story you you or was that the story you were thinking of?
1: As one does.
4: Yeah, I mean, why not?
1: And and then the corner of the post was very mm. upset when people said that she might be Jewish and wanted to clarify that it had a different meaning for her. So.
4: Yeah, mm. I wonder. I wonder what the meaning was.
1: Linger <laughs> into mystery. Thanks, Victoria.
4: No, thank you for having me. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Thanks
1: for listening. Professor Greer is going to take us out in her best Andrew Cuomo voice.
2: I really need to practice, Harry. Um, maybe, maybe the next time we have a transportation episode when we talk about buses, I can, I can get my Andrew Cuomo. Right now, it's coming off as like Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons, and so uh, I'll spare our listeners. <laughs> Let's make perfect- Right. <laughs> so FAQ NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news and by listeners like you. We've recorded this week at Alex Lin's Rent Stabilized Department and are headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU, where we'll be recording for the first time next week. Thanks to Veronica Vanderpool of the MTA board and Aaron Gordon of the Signal Problems newsletter. Subscribe now, and we also want to say a special thank you to our producer, Jordan Gasparay and assistant producer, Samantha Gatsek Remember, if you have to ask, tune in to The Fact for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. The Fact. The Fact. News.
0: News. 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 New, new, news. New York City. F.
4: A. Q.